Welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger, a big warg to all of you Spaceburgers out there. Thanks for listening to the show. And in particular, thanks to those of you who contribute to the Patreon, as this show is made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but it can't hurt to hear once more. Get out there and vote. If you're listening to this after the fact, well, I hope you did it. If you're listening on the Monday where this show comes out, tomorrow's your big day. I hope you follow through, and if you don't, I'd really love to hear your reasoning or logic. You can call in anonymously if you're worried about people somehow attacking you or something like that, but I am curious what your thoughts are. This seems to me one of those times where you gotta get involved. You gotta do something. So, the least I think you can do is hopefully go vote. And it's, um, you probably have friends, some of you might be doing this out there, canvassing, knocking on doors, just trying to get people involved, taking part in our democracy, the voter turnout for quite a while now, has been underwhelming. So perhaps on Tuesday, we'll see something interesting. And if this you're listening to this well after the fact, whew, you, you know more than we did at this current moment when I was recording this in the past. Uh, okay, let's get into the episode. This is um, the sound quality. I don't think it's that bad, but you'll have to be the judge of that. It's recorded in a car and with just a handheld device. So you can hear some a little bit of ambiance ambience, depending on how you say it, of the passing motorway. Yeah, you'll hear all about that. But anyway, this was a a nice fellow who I got a chance to meet. Uh, He got married to my life partner's best friend, if that makes any sense. I met him at the wedding for like 10 minutes. He was busy doing stuff, so we never really got to hang out. And uh, recently we went and visited them and got to chit chat a little bit and find out about his life as an emergency room doctor, which I think is pretty fascinating. He also had a propensity for uh, using a soundboard, which I didn't know. He assumed all podcasts must have them, so he brought his own along, and it adds a little certain element to the show I think you'll like. (laughs) Maybe we'll involve it in the future. I highly doubt that, though. Anyway, here's a little chat with Dr. Patrick Hughes. All right, we are in Massachusetts. We're heading south on Interstate 495. Emily Rose is driving... And that's a perfect introduction to, they call you the, you're the modern day Patch Adams, but with the soundboard, <laughs> resident medical attendant, Patrick Hughes. <laughs> what's the, what's the term for what you do? Uh, I was a resident. I recently became an attending. It, it's just uh, completing the training. Um, and I work in the emergency department as uh, one of the docs there. Please, please speak a little more, uh, a little lower, if you would. I, I can hear you to some degree, and that's detrimental to our chat. And then, and how'd you get yeah, some? Boy. Sorry, you you stopped your question there. Right. Apologies for that. So, how'd you? How everyone in the hospital knows you as the soundboard guy? No, not at all. They don't know you as the soundboard guy, but you just—that's a hobby of yours. I, I just adopted it. A couple minutes ago. 
just for this car ride. And we're joined by Freya. Yeah, boy! <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is fun. <laughs> Freya is six years old. She's a golden doodle. So we're loaded up in this car pretty good. And um, Emily Rose, you can say hello if you'd like. I don't know if we pick that up. I can't hear. So, Doctor Hughes, the soundboard king, is wearing the headphones, and really just lost in his soundboard at this point. He's just scrolling on his phone through soundboard cues. And why the uh, fascination with the soundboard? Just, it, you know, it's just a great addition to podcasts, and if they don't have it. They need. It. That is true. No one's going to debate you on that. And how did you know that medicine? was your calling prior to soundboard work uh i I don't know um i don't know if calling is uh some people do find it like a true calling and like they think it's like their vocation um i i don't know i just kind of fell into it in a way um i you fell into going to school for like 10 years and then being a resident and all this yeah because it's a pretty safe straightforward track um, and it's a good job where you, uh, where you, can, you can like you can feel good about what you do at the end of the day, and you uh, are contributing to society in a meaningful way, and you're uh, helping people out, and it's a good challenge. And, um, yeah. So it wasn't as much of a calling, but you had like a checklist of features in life that you wanted to. Oh, Emily Rose, go right. Yeah, go right there. All right. Oh shit! We Just for that. for it to be noted, no, when no, Patrick said, to "Oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. we're going oh, nice. to." Oh, we're doing four ninety five now. All right, sorry. It should be noted in this brief little traffic exchange that when Patrick pointed and said, "Go right," Emily Rose made no real effort to in any way even change lanes. <laughs> And that's really what it's like driving with her all the time. That's a really long soundboard bit. I didn't know know what the soundboard bit was. That's a long board bit. It just plays an entire song. Yeah. This soundboard thing was like 20 uh, megabytes. It's a lot of... A lot of data in there. So you had some some features, some check these lists, check these off of your, in life it's important for me to get, you mentioned like contributing to society, a, a, a track that you just hop on and it kind of is straightforward. You didn't want the risk or the uncertainty in life? Yeah, yeah. And yet you're, what you do deals with uncertainty pretty much every moment. You work in the ER. Uh, yeah, to, I mean to a degree. Um, when you're first starting in your training, it feels like there's a lot of uncertainty, and there still is, but it gets it gets simpler over time. Um, so that there's a little bit less uncertainty. Okay. When you, I mean, the the getting on this track, you were like good in biology or something like that in high school, or did someone had to tell tell you like you'd be a good doctor? Like, how did that? Because there are other tracks that are similar, maybe like law or um, getting into like accounting or something like that. So why this one? That's a good question. I, my, my dad was a doc, um, and so that was just kind of like, oh, he seems like he has a good job. I'm going to go for that. 
<laughs> is this just you being modest? Because it's cool to be a doctor. And you're like, well, you did one of those things that kids dress up as when they're little kids. Like, firefighter, astronaut, doctor. It's up there. Is this your way of being like, ah, I just kind of accidentally did it. But it must feel like an accomplishment. I mean, it's, it was, yeah, it's an accomplishment, but it wasn't... I, I just don't want to be melodramatic about it, honestly. It just... Um, it it's a good career it took like it took plenty of hard work but nothing that extraordinary no crazy big sacrifices but there's delayed gratification in the career um and it was uh like it's a pretty straightforward safe track you know i just was like i, I just need to do well in school and then do well on tests but how much we're talking about like years and years of school and then I met you, obviously, through Emily Rose, who you're married to her best friend, or one of her best friends, who you guys were separated, living in different cities for years at a time. That's a pretty big sacrifice. Yeah, I, I like, I blocked that out of my, I try to make everything seem better in, in the past. Oh, yeah, that's smart. That's a good way to do it. Like, it was pretty easy. No big major sacrifices. Like, you had to cut off your hand. Well, aside from that. Yeah. Yeah. I got the hand back. You got your hand back. Yeah, you guys are together living in uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Hanging out with townies. Throwing back uh, gansets. Them, them socks. Watching the socks. <laughs> I can love the socks. Drinking gansets. <laughs> High-fiving townies. Whoa. That, that semi that's towing what looks to be like liquid nitrogen or gasoline just swerved off the road. Whew. Noonan. You know what, them, them, I can't do it. Them, Come them, on. them socks. Yeah, but you got you got to give it them. The dodges, I guess they work. They work pretty hard there. That was our plan: was to go to a townie bar and slowly uh, infiltrate them, being townies ourselves, and then just slowly win them over with the idea like we've won a lot of them. Come on, you know the, the fucking dodges. They deserve one. They deserve one. Let's let them have it this year. <laughs> But we, we were unsuccessful in that regard. Yep. <laughs> There's got to be a good soundbite for this moment. Oh, yeah. Hustle up on that soundboard, man. You're soundboard king. You're the Patch Adams of soundboarding. I didn't really... I didn't... I didn't uh, go through this too well beforehand. Okay, we party now. <laughs> we're partying. What do you love about medicine? Because we did say this is a hardcore interview, not a conversation. Yeah, no, that was part of the ground rules. Yeah. You said this was a conversation. Right, hard-hitting. This is an interview. Um, Freya's being really good at letting me just lay the microphone on her back. Yeah, you could use her hair as the microphone cover really next could. time. Yeah, I got this fuzzy on there to, to get rid of, like, <laughs> the breathing. Yeah. And uh, but I, she, boy, I'd love to just take, you know, some of her muzzle hair. Yeah. Answer the question. What was the question have, again? Um, <laughs> what do you love about medicine? Oh, um, I like the people I work with. Um, it is really difficult at times. Uh, working in the ER, uh, fairly often you can feel um, close to being overwhelmed, at, uh, depending on you know on the circumstances and what happens to come through the door. Um, uh, the best thing, though, are the people you work with. Um, like when you, you when you get to work with the residents um, and the, the 
you know, nurse, nursing is uh, usually really exceptional, and they're great people, and uh, that's the that's the best part of it is the camaraderie with your coworkers. Um, patient interactions, honestly, are like they're hit and hit and miss. They're they're fairly frequently rewarding because you know you can feel like you you did a good thing for somebody, you helped them out. Um, but it's not always like quite ideal. Some people have like have really intense expectations about customer service, you know, and they're like, what do you mean I can't eat for four hours? This is absurd. I, I, I should be able to eat, and I should get my testing done immediately, and I should know exactly what's going on, and I should be able to go home. Um, and that's not always how it works out. Uh, and there's, like, there's safety reasons for that, but... Um, and then you have, like, people who are intoxicated or on whatever substance or have whatever other issues going on in their lives where they're being really uh, rude. Uh, and so, How do you handle that? How do you go, sir, I understand, and they're like, yeah, I fucking told you. Listen here. Listen here. Do the test now, doc. How do you handle them? Some, a lot of people have different methods. Some people, like, outright confront them and just match them, and I've never found that to be the most effective. Really? Uh, people just go, you sit down. Yes. I'm the doctor here. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> yes. nice. Uh, uh, but usually you just sound like, okay, okay. <laughs> no, I understand. Oh, I'm so sorry. I understand what's going on. Oh, that's so frustrating. Well, let's see what we can do to help you out. And if that doesn't work, you need to medicate them, which is really an ugly situation. So when you're, <clears throat> you talk about like the camaraderie of your gang, do you, is there, you know, you go in the break room, where do you go to be like, I'm losing it with this guy, I hate this guy? We don't say that, we're you professionals. You're professionals? Yeah. Come on, give me the dirt, uh, be honest. We don't, we like, we don't like bash people. Um, do you do an eye roll every now and again? Or do you have... You know, like the people, the hobos that rode the trains would have those secret markings on fences to let let like other hobos know, like this house will give you food, or this one will let you sleep in the barn, or etc. Do you guys have little hand signals and stuff? You're like, this guy in room six is a piece of shit. No. No. Nothing like that. No. Yeah. So then that gives them some incentive to continue their terrible behavior, or you just like you said, medicate them, just knock them out. If you have to, you ideally don't. Like it, you have to, it has to be an ex- a pretty extreme thing to sedate somebody, yeah. where they have to be a true risk of harming themselves or harming others. But it does happen. It's usually with mental health issues or uh, or some sort of substance abuse. So television would lead me to believe that the ER is constant, like doors bursting open and people running in, wheeling a gurney, blood. You got that pumpy thing that's just like a makeshift uh, form of oxygen, and they're going 50 cc's of something, stat, and they whoosh, like open a curtain, rush him into an ER room. The doctors are like running down the aisle, and then you think like that's all night, every night in a shift in the ER. But so you worked last night. What's an actual ER shift in Middle Massachusetts like? It's exactly. Exactly like that. The whole time? The whole time. It's exhausting. I don't... Is it really? No, it's not. It's not like that. <laughs> God damn it. Soundboard King is being glib over here. Yeah, boy! 
You did get me on that one. <laughs> He's got like a thousand. He just keeps you using it. <laughs> I never. Well, that's just out of nowhere. That means. I mean, I never. <laughs> I was wondering if I had mail. I certainly didn't imply that I was your father. <laughs> I'm stuck on the Y's right now. Oh, you're in the Y's. This is probably the best. But you opened on the Wise. I mean, that was your first play, Patch. Yeah, I, I didn't really get to parse through this too much. and I don't... We found this one that was really cute. LeBron James. That kid has a really nice voice. And he's saying LeBron James? Yeah, it's a, in a very cute way. Um, this one's called I'm Batman. Okay. I'm Batman. Do you have a difficult time being earnest and sort of like communicate you know being sincere about you'd rather just <laughs> are you saying that because I'm just soundboarding instead of answering your questions well I think a lot of times I mean there are two two reasons uh, someone that's sort of spectrumy will just soundboard away and then someone that's like I just can't bring myself to and that's always like an endearing quality when someone's like I'm not gonna sit here and tell you how great what I do is or how cool I am. I'd rather just goof around. And then it's hard to like really be vulnerable and be like, alright, here's what I do. Here's here's what's cool about what I do. Because then people are like, oh this cocksucker thinks he's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and like, it also is like, it's um I don't want, I want to, you, you kind of need to maintain an air I've, everything that's been trilled in, I mean, I feel like there is some validity to it is that you need to make when when you're you need to maintain a sense of like professionalism with your career and so and i and, you know i don't want to like be too negative about it or anything like that um and i and you still are supposed to maintain this like this professional air of like i'm a physician i'm respectful about this and that and that and so i don't like like talking bad about like uh, um especially about like patients because most people who are there are there in a vulnerable state um, and even if they are acting out in some ridiculous way they're um, it's because of a terrible circumstance that they're in yeah. you know and so um, that's why we don't badmouth people uh, routinely um, uh, routinely we don't bad we do our best to never badmouth people um does it go? Does it? I mean, I guess there's always the conversation then about nature and nurture and how mad can you really be at someone if you believe fully in free will and you go, yeah, this person's an asshole. But if you're like, well, look at their circumstances. They're brought up in this way. They had this happen. Terrible on you know, tragedy or a lot of like addiction and or abuse in a home, and then they naturally it resulted in their adult life being this. Yeah. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like, you guys yeah. are always able to see, like, ah, come on, cut them some slack. Look, look what their life has been thus far. Yeah, and you never, yeah. And it's, it's especially one of those things where you never know what's going on in their life, so you try to just put up with, like, um, the little mini moments of abuse. Mm-hmm. Just because you're, um, um, like, you're, there almost certainly is something going on in their lives. I mean, they're in the ER. It's under a very stressful circumstance for them, so kind of think along the lines of like some people not everybody obviously but a lot of people that go into the military are sometimes people that maybe didn't have a goal like you did to be in medicine they didn't have a track they even knew existed or wanted to be on and maybe they're a little bit more of a a wild mustang 
they get to boot camp and it they are no longer special they're no longer treated like oh yeah you get to it is this is how it is you got to stand here you got to stand this way at this exact time you got to have your your um, appearance look a certain way and all of a sudden they're, they're kind of like a wild horse sort of broken but then typically toward the end of it they they understand the reasoning for that the operating as a team they sort of speak in that kind of cliche terminology whether it's just like well it's for the mission or for the betterment of the group and then sports that happens all the time you know you watch like a quarterback when someone made a terrible play and they or the coach one of them gets up at the end and goes yeah we just you know we gotta get better next time and you're like come on speak honestly you you, you kind of always want to see the quarterback be like that guy's a sack of shit i can't believe he dropped that pass <laughs> and then you'd feel like good some actual honesty but then to hear you talk about it like there's some there's some value in uh not necessarily the cliches but sort of the uh hey, you don't want to get too carried away with your emotions describing either your work or the clientele yeah yeah it's a very nice way to put it oh, okay i have nothing to add <laughs> i really covered that one yeah. <laughs> so then does it um with the camaraderie of you guys in the group you know the i i think of i haven't seen a ton of the medical television shows but there's always you know the camaraderie borders then on like familiarity because you spend so many hours together are there people running off to like the linen closet every now and again smooching each other that kind of thing i honestly don't think so i i've like every once in a while you'll hear like oh this person has been with this person for this long and you're like what how did i miss how did I miss any like all of that for that yeah. long? But I think it's honestly, it's it's really rare. It's yeah. rare, or they're just really good at hiding it. Because yeah. you have to be pretty clever to be a doctor. You have to be smart. You have to do well in school. Even though you're being very modest about it, you had to do pretty well on your tests, and then you had to have like a tenacity to stick with it, right? Sure. Come on, man, sing. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't toot your horn, no one else will. My grandmother used to say that to me for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, you do have to. I mean, it's difficult. You can at least admit that it's difficult to become a doctor. Yeah, yeah, and it's honestly, it's difficult day to day being one. Do people leave the profession and/or like get into substance abuse? Oh, for sure. There's, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely. Uh, I don't, I don't, I can't quote any kind of numbers, but uh, there's plenty. It's it's definitely documented out there about rates of substance abuse among physicians, and um, there's anecdotally a lot of stuff that happens. And then uh, a big a big uh, topic in medicine, especially in emergency medicine, is burnout. I feel like physician burnout, just because um, it's grueling. You work like you work really uh, strange hours that mess up your circadian rhythm. Um, so it can be difficult to like eat well and to exercise without having any sort of routine. Um, you can uh, more and more people are kind of talking about the abuse that people who work in the ER get. So um, physicians are we're actually like somewhat insulated from it. We're, we're definitely quite insulated from it compared to um, like nursing staff and techs. They can they get they get um, they get like injured fairly frequently. Um, whether it's a, uh, you know, somebody with advanced dementia who's just so confused, and and they're scared that they start acting out, or if it's a, you know, somebody on all like 
coked up or whatever and um, who, who will physically assault uh, somebody and so there's plenty of abuse in medicine that is now people are being more and more are talking about it more um, but yeah I don't know what were we even saying yeah I'm just curious about that like the the stress of it I think people I, I think from the outside people are probably just like oh you're a doctor you got that sweet life you own six yachts you just cruise in and see a couple patients but it seems like and has that changed like the the pay scale in the last 20 years or so yeah absolutely uh, my understanding is and again I don't know like numbers but people talk about it fairly routinely um, is that uh, and it seems like the the doctors slowly kind of getting squeezed into smaller uh, smaller portions of the pie you know um, and a lot of it's coming from like all the I don't know I don't want I especially in like a public forum I don't want to necessarily like go into too much about it but I told you it's gonna be pretty hard hitting I know this is an intense interview this is this is the ground rules that I <laughs> that I established I demanded um, there I think there's like there's a lot of uh, parties in the healthcare pie and a lot of increasing portions of that pie are going to things that don't affect don't directly affect patient care um, and don't don't improve outcomes for patients and but tons of that money is being siphoned off and physicians I think we don't organize as well as other groups and we don't have as we don't care as much like we're, we didn't go into the field like we we didn't go into the field largely to just make money you know we went in because we want to take care of patients um and for like some of the things i talked about earlier like it's a good like the money's like i'm very happy to have a, a job that pays well and that was definitely a, a big factor but it also is just a job you can feel good about what you're doing and you're you're providing a very valuable service and, it, and it's a difficult job um which you want like a challenge in your life like that um so we don't care we're not fo- we're focused on other things than protecting our slice of the pie whereas other it feels like there are other parties out there who are aggressively trying to get more and more money and then that's that slice of the pie gets narrower for us so i mean back in the day and i think it's closer to getting a reasonable amount of i think like we're still get we're still very well compensated so you feel bad talking about it because i still live a very like I, I have a ton of debt right now from from schooling and stuff, but I'm making fine money now, and I'm going to be fine in the future and have a good, you know, like a good financial outlook. But you, um, you also are kind of in the back of your mind. Um, you're recognizing that like there's more bad players in the mix who are grabbing more of the money, and um, and that's not and it's not helping patients out, and it's is resulting in insane costs for patients to get uh, really simple care. And it's, it's a, the system's broken in a lot of ways. So when the system's broken and it's stressful in the actual ER and whatever, maybe you're not feeling great or you see someone get treated poorly, you, you know, th- those are psychological factors that, that everyone kind of deals with in their job. That when you go home, then you watch the news and you get this perception of the world just being this hellscape but what are like the little victories in the er what's what's a good day where you go home kind of feeling like 
hey, what I do is good. The world's not as bad as everyone thinks. You know, little pick-me-ups. Yeah, I don't need to... You know, sometimes maybe that's where the people that burn out, maybe they come home and they have to have some scotch or something, and then that turns into having five scotches, and next thing you know, like, they're, they're medicating because they're kind of miserable. What, what's a, what's a, a good day where you come home? Yeah. A lot of it's not anything that profound. A lot of it's just, like, if you have a... If there's a patient with, like, a simple laceration on their finger and you stitch it and they're just a really they're just a nice person who is patient and appreciates um what you're what you've done that's a really satisfying encounter um you know most most virtually all docs are continually trying to improve their knowledge and so no you know everyone completes their training but everyone still you learn a lot of what you learn so much more of you know i'm just in my first year out of training but uh many people have told me that they've learned more in the first few years out of their training than they do in a lot of their residency um and so you're continually trying to train and so when you are learning when you learn something and then you're able to apply it that can be really satisfying um and then root you you kind of get you get this idea that you might be able to make a big you might somehow find the find a diagnosis that other people wouldn't have found but that's relatively rare um it's really rare to be like oh i i just cracked the case and most people wouldn't have is that popularized by shows like house and things like that yeah yeah gray's anatomy Mm -hmm. uh how often does something come in that really stumps you? And is, does it stick with you when you go home? Like, damn it, I can't figure this out. Or worst case, if it goes in a bad direction, and then you maybe never solve it, never figure out what it was. It uh, it's it's frequently not that. Like in, in the ER, you get really comfortable with not uh, knowing the answer. Like the your job as an ER physician is not necessarily to give somebody an answer for their problem. Um, you your job is to stabilize people who are really sick um identify people before they get really sick you're supposed to rule out anything that's life-threatening um but you're not supposed to uh solve every ailment that somebody has because it's not all life-threatening it's not all going to be truly um uh debilitating uh and it's and that's that'd be absurd to expect that of an er doc because an er doc you have to know um, like a little bit about a ton of different things. Um, so to, to like, people come in with their issue that's been going on for like eight months and they're like, nobody's told me I'm not leaving without an answer. It's like, well, you are going to have to leave because I, like, I don't know what's going on and I'm not the person to to solve that. It's like going to a neurologist for your rash, you know, like <laughs> go to the dermatologist. I don't know that. Um, but every once in a while you'll be you'll 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 find you'll catch something that you're like oh i'm glad i thought of that because i either would have missed it or i you know i'm not convinced that that a lot of people would have found that and i feel good about finding that mm-hmm. so that happens every once in a while but in large part it's not that hard you like when people are really sick it's kind of easy because you know they're they've declared themselves as sick and there aren't that many hard things to do when somebody's really sick um the harder cases are the ones who are like kind of thinking over um, is this person okay to go home or are they secretly 
kind of sick and they're hiding it. Um, How do you tell the difference between, like, I think a lot of hypochondriacs also have a little splash of, I'm a real martyr. Like, I'm toughing through something terrible. As opposed to just like, I mean, some of them come in, they're like, I'm so sick, you gotta help me, you gotta, I'm so sick. But others come in and, and maybe try to put off this, I'm sure it's nothing, duck. But, and then, so how do you tell with those sometimes? Like, I think this person's a hypochondriac, or what if there's a slight risk they have an aneurysm bubbling under the surface or something crazy like that? You, um, fairly frequently it'll be in your mind, you'll be like, I think this is nothing, but I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z to make sure it's not nothing real. So you don't like, you're very hesitant to just chalk it up to like uh, anxiety or anything like that. Um, so you're almost always just gonna, you're always, like, you'll frequently be like, I'm convinced this is nothing, but I'm gonna do a bunch of different stuff to prove that. I guess that'd be a tough, you know, if you started practicing from, you know, one month I'm gonna only do this whether that's just say go home and see how that works out you can't really make you can't do things like that because if you lose a couple lives you're like okay that was a bad experiment it was a bad week <laughs> oh man you got you got this too serious for a bit I, we haven't got any soundboard in a long time <laughs> a little get asleep man took you out of your comfort zone yeah it made me feel bad about using the soundboard because then I was not being earnest or something yeah, man, I apply a lot of techniques to get... That's how you do a hard-hitting interview. Yeah. I don't know all these soundboard bites, and I'm hesitant to play some of them because I feel like some of them are insensitive. That's okay. Oh, my God, that's really loud. A little uh, promo for the upcoming Queen biopic. Yeah. And you're in Sox country right now. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, they did just win the World Series, so all you Red Sox fans out there, you are the champions. Congratulations. I really want to have more sound bites, but I, I've kind of run out of them. And all I've got to take a picture of this, because you have like a thousand of them on that screen, and yet your your choices thus far have been... I don't think, I don't think you downloaded the best soundboard thing. Yeah, a lot of songs. Yeah, you need more, like, silly sayings or sounds or, yeah. I mean, whoop whoopee cushion, the spring, boy, things like that. <laughs> yeah, this is nothing. This is called Mr. Bean. I don't know. It's really strange. I, I'm, I'm Batman was good. Yeah, that was okay. I mean, you know, they know you, uh, I mean, if you're really... Patch Adams of soundboards. I, I think they've come to expect a little more from you. Yeah, but like I said, I just started doing this. Uh, what I suggest is you go in to the ER with kind of an iPad hanging around your neck, and then you can just boom slap yourself right in the chest, and it cues up like a. Did I do that? <laughs> Whoa! That's what she said. Like, have them be all, like, the famous sayings, but have them be in a voice like this. We do say that's what she said. Do you say it like this? That's what she said. No. Yeah, so you're a soundboard guy, and then you you bring in a new element. So you guys in the ER are slipping in a lot. You you and the nurses are going, whoa, that's what she said. Yeah, the medical stuff is just ripe for that. Mm -hmm. It's just ripe for that. 
Doc, my anus won't stop bleeding. That's what she said. You have like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we have like a little bit more tact. <laughs> that seems ripe for it. I mean, what? I picture the ER being like heavy stuff. Ah, my blood won't clot. That's what she said. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> Well, give, fill me in. Give me a better example. I'm, I'm throwing uh, darts here. I'm obviously missing the mark. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you have a, you have, a, you have the full gamut because you have. It's a pretty frequent thing by like all the people I work with. I don't know how generalizable that is, but uh, some people really stretch it. Other people only do wins golden. What do we got a picture of? Rainbow. Oh. There was yeah. a double rainbow all the way across the sky last week. And we did not know what it meant. And you guys drove through it? Yeah, right on, right through it. Oh, I've heard about this, because you were losing your keys and all this bad luck was happening. Then you drove through a rainbow. Everything's been great since then. Pretty much. Are you superstitious? No, I, I don't think it was bad luck. I think I was just really bad at basic functions last week. But so you're not superstitious, like, and that, I don't know if that would make me feel good if I was in the ER and then I saw the doctor take out like a rabbit's foot and kiss it, and then start to go to work. Yeah, no, I don't do that too much. <laughs> do you? Uh, I remember seeing this episode of Insomniac with David Tell long, long ago, and he asked this guy that was like, um, he cleaned up uh, crime scenes, so he just saw the grisliest and gnarliest stuff in like Las Vegas. And David Tell asked him, like, <clears throat> you know, do, wh- when you see this, do you think we're this conscious species with a higher purpose? Or are we just kind of these bags of chemicals and bones and blood and etc.? And the guy was like, yeah, I just think, I think we're that. I think we're <laughs> just these things. But do you think that humans have something more to them? I mean, do you believe in the, how weird is it that we do have consciousness and we kind of live on this little spinny rock out in the middle of nowhere? Do you find yourself seeing little things happen that make your mind wander a bit or do you stay locked in on just what you're doing locked in you're locked in locked in so you never wander and feel like huh this person if I do this this person's entire personality changes you're like butter, you're butterfly affecting the ER patients yeah well I'm saying like someone comes in and they just committed a heinous crime and then you cut them open and find out they have a little blockage in one part of their brain and they're, they're just the result of that. There's no free will. They just were reacting to exactly how, you know, it triggered some weird psychological thing in them that made them a totally different person. That's just medically impossible. It's medically impossible? <laughs> <laughs> what about... The psychiatric uh, illnesses that would, that got, that, where people do terrible things. I'm thinking about that Phineas guy. The guy that got the bar oh, up yeah, in his head. Yeah. <laughs> So that guy comes in, he starts punching out all your nurses. You rip that bar out of his head. And he's like, "Oh, sorry about that. I'm better now." I think when he, I think like wasn't part of it that he would die. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah, just, well, he just was fundamentally changed after that. His frontal lobe yeah. had been all damaged. Yeah, you see people with frontal lobe injuries. Mm-hmm. So people who have like uh, bleeding into the, in that part of their brain, and that's the part that's responsible for inhibition, and um, and so they'll like just try to get up and leave and you're like no 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 you're bleeding in your brain you need to stay in the hospital and they're like no no I'm not staying I'm going home and you're like I can't let you leave this is because you're bleeding in your brain this is not because you're making a reasonable like you're making an informed decision you're just just lost your inhibition and the whole, the, there are a lot of people that have like uh, I don't like doctors 
What's that like? Is that <laughs> get old after a while? Yeah. I was like, my mom was like, me too. <laughs> what, what do you say to him? Ah, oh, grow up. Grow up. You, where'd you learn that from? Just just move right past it. You just say, oh, I understand. I understand. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand. But and that's where, that's where like, it can be really difficult is because you have, you have people who have really bad medical issues going on who refuse to stay. And you have people who have nothing going on who demand to stay. Uh, and so you'll be like, man, it's it's crazy sometimes because you're taking care of somebody who's like dying and is like either, either trying to leave or like at least they're disinterested. At best, they're disinterested in their care. And then you have other people who have like nothing going on and like are um, so upset that they've had to wait for however long when you're dealing with like a, a dying patient um, and they either like demanding to leave or it's somebody who's like. I've been here for this long with my issue that's been going on for three years, and why do I not have a bed in the hospital yet? Yeah. And you're like, I'm literally dying. I'm dealing with this, like, really wonderful person who's dying and is, like, but also refusing to stay because I hate hospitals, and I get that. Yeah. So uh, I feel like I'm not, like, connecting a lot of these points into... I think I'm doing... Well, I'm setting them all up, little little tapestries to weave together because you have that you have the connection to just oh this is a spirit or a, a personality of nothing else that I like and maybe you're analytical and you're not kissing a rabbit's foot so you're a little more pragmatic and saying this is just a result of their genetics their life history their brain chemistry maybe even their brain chemistry today but it has resulted in a personality that I like and I don't want to die yeah. And I, but I'm going to treat them the same way as anybody even if it's someone laying here who I thought was a piece of shit I'm going to save them just the same so my think, my question, I guess, and this gets pretty hard-hitting, but because you have to look at humans sort of like that, just as an entity, can't really rate one over another, but maybe you go out to the family and you're like, if I'm honest, I'm really glad we saved this guy because your grandpa is the nicest dude. And they go, oh, sweet of you to say. But then you go out to an asshole's family and you're like, hey, I'm really glad to say we saved him. But in, maybe internally you're like, yeah, I wouldn't have minded if this guy had passed away. What a racist sack of shit. You should have heard what he was saying when he was knocked out. This guy's on gab, undoubtedly. Fuck this guy. <laughs> I, I do, before I see a patient, I check their gab profile. <laughs> Which I think, unfortunately, they were, take, they were taken down today or something like that. Because it turns out racism and anti-Semiticism is, is not okay. Yeah. But, uh, no, you don't, like, you don't have I don't care. I'm, sure, racist, they're, they're an asshole, but I'm not going to be happy if they die. <laughs> I, do, I do strongly believe that. Um, they're like, Doc, if you right now sprint down the hallway as fast as you can, grab those sutures and get back here, we have a 3% chance of saving this person. And then you look and see, like, a racist tattoo. You're like, ah, let's just call it. (laughs) But but maybe he's a really nice guy. And you, like, you take off. You do the sprint. No, you don't know. And and people change. So, like, I've seen people with, like, with tattoos like that who are like, oh, no, that was when I was young and a turd. Yeah. A racist turd. And now (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a real nice person. Yeah. I, I, I like what you were getting at. I'm, I actually, I really big. I, I really, I've always just kind of felt that people are um, 
a result of a lot of external factors um, and I don't think people are just like terrible people by choice like a lot of it's them a result of like of their upbringing and environment and all that the older I get the more I feel that way and it kind of bums me out because I want to believe in a lot more free will and I want to be upset and angry and you hear those stories of there was this like Quaker family I believe that their daughter was taken molested killed they addressed the murderer guy in court and they were just like we just feel like you didn't get enough love in your life we love you we hope that you know you're forgiven we hope your life goes better from from here on and I think everyone myself included hears that and goes no way there's no way that would be me I'm not evolved enough and or compassionate enough but as I get older I think I try to work toward that because I do in some weird way like that the understanding of we're just the result of kind of everything that's happened to us and our brain chemistry that being said when you get to that far end of it where you just start looking at humans as just a collection of chromosomes and different chemistry etc you can maybe get a little indifferent toward them and even the whole idea of what humans are and how archaic it is and the way we reproduce etc that you might then see the whole body as nothing of concern but then i'd wonder like do you still how you you're still part of it you are still human meaning that someone gets rushed in and their gown flies open and you go oh you've seen them totally naked and maybe it's someone you're attracted to and you go nice or (laughs) do do, do things like that happen or you're just so indifferent that you're like that's just a human body that's part of it second the second one come on be honest man i told you this is a hard-hitting interview a a major part of medicine is like like you whatever kind of subconscious or slightly conscious reaction you have you just ignore it and you move past it Mm -hmm. because you have to um do everything impartial like with impartiality um so like i've i like don't really notice most of that and most stuff doesn't really like even cause a reaction a lot of the time yeah i get it i mean i'm pushing too far into the a bit of decorum but also i mean would it be helpful if doctors talked more about this so that patients go in or is that what we need patients need to go in and feel like i'm dealing with virtually a robot here so they can see my little anus or my hog could flop out and they're gonna just be in no way moved by it yeah i mean we yeah i i think there's a huge uh value to having um kind of this the doctor patient relationship because there's a there's a therapeutic component to it and you need to like you need to develop that level of trust and you need to maintain a a level of professionalism so they know so they trust you and so they can feel good about the care they're getting Mm -hmm. because that makes everything go much better um so i truly like i don't like we make little morbid jokes because we deal with such dark stuff a lot of the time that among the team will make dark jokes and stuff but um when you're in like a in an encounter with a patient you you do it's your job to just ignore almost all that stuff yeah but i've talked this really harmless stuff yeah like a tiny anus that could cause harm you might have severest constipation oh yes that's not that harmless but what about just the basic like human attraction Someone comes in and that has a body that you, when you see, you know, they're, and you cover it up. You go, focused on this. 
I'm moving through stages of my hard-hitting interview, Oaksy, and this is something that I, f- I find fascinating about the medical profession, is that you do have to kind of turn off uh, certain aspects of what is a primitive kind of human reaction to things. Yes, you do. Yeah. So it is there to a certain degree. You're just willfully and knowingly saying, like, not now. Yeah, but it's a, with everything across the board. Like, it, like it extends to all issues where whatever bias... You, you need to um, try to recognize any of your internal biases and turn them off and ignore them. And you need to... Um, uh, you just need to be a professional, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Does that satisfy your question, Emily Rose? Yes. Okay, good. I think it's more your... I think it's more your question. Well, she was questioning why I asked that question. <laughs> it's a valid... I mean, I was getting a little carried away there, but... I do th- I do think that's interesting in different careers where people have to pretend that we're not these chimps that walk around and and poop and watch like uh, lascivious sort of television and things like that and you know we have like we see people from across the room and if, and if we're not asexual we have some sort of reaction from time to time and yet doctors and various other um, uh, careers, have to have to pretend like no i'm basically just a robot i'm here to just serve you but i would imagine every now and again you know a thing pops up you're like all right i am human yeah and we don't but there's certain you kind of recognize there are certain things that are okay for you to be this is very robotic they're okay for you to be a human about so like um it's okay to feel it's like a a, plenty of emotions are totally appropriate to have and to share with families Mm -hmm. um so like you can like be immensely um, sad with a family and cry with a family and that's okay and you can like laugh with patients all the time but um, you know there's certain things that are just and that's how it is in general with like everything in, in mm-hmm. basic See, society to go back to my thing again and apologies for being so um, redundant with it but I think that would be comforting in a weird way like oh this person's human like they know how sad we are they know how we feel and but yet, if there was some creepy old guy that was like, "Hey, doc, you gotta look at my wife's boobs," and you were like, "I'm sorry, sir, I, I'm I'm busy trying to save your wife," I think that guy would be weird. And but I, I would also be like, if that made that guy feel better, you know, and you like jokingly, "Hey, you're a lucky man, sir." That's a weird thing. That really has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, I guess. But I've gotten off track. We we'll do, uh, yeah, we we do whatever we like. We, we make jokes all the time. And with families, if it's appropriate, and even in um, terrible situations, just to lighten the mood, and because mm-hmm. it, it helps. Um, you, you, it, you know, it's not for every family too, but you get that feel. Well, we are nearly at our destination, so I guess we should wrap up shortly. With, I would ask you this: you're in, you're, you finished your. I didn't realize you were chewing gum. You've been doing that the whole time. Yeah, that's gonna sound terrible. I. I could hear it, and it only, I only heard it every once in a while. Okay, that's would, good. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't be chewing gum. Yeah, that's going to drive people crazy. Yeah. I didn't hear it. I, I'm not wearing I'm the headphones. Sorry. I would have I slapped your mouth silly. <laughs> get, get out of there. Get out of there. You're gum chewing. You're in the... <laughs> right back to the start. Uh, you're finished with your training. You're no longer a resident. You're... What's it called now? An attending. Att- yeah, attending. You're attending. And... You don't want to be in the emergency world forever. What, what do you see, like, the trajectory of you no. in... You want to get a private practice at some point? You always want no. to be in the hospital, always in the ER? What are you going to be doing? I do want to be in the emergency department forever. You really? 
what um, it's an, at the end of the day it's a it it's an awesome job it's a great experience you're providing a really good uh, service it's it's an incredible mix of challenge and, and fun and um, the whole gamut of um, of you know human emotions all that uh, in, in a very real way Um you will burn out if you do it too much. That's why a lot of emergency docs only work like, like a, a full, uh, a, a heavy shift load for an ER doc. It's like sixteen to eighteen shifts a month. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of days off. Yeah. Um, now some of those days are a lot of those days are spent on doing other things. So that your true day days off for the month isn't like twelve to fourteen days off a month. But um, working in the ER is really exhausting. So you need to mix it up. So that's, I want to do it in the long term, but you need to have that balance, and that's kind of one of the ways to avoid burnout, is to mix it up with different things. Um, so that's why you you want to like um, you want to have your little side stuff where you do research or you work with it wouldn't in whatever field's most interesting to you, or you work with uh, residents and their training, and that way you can break up your shifts with other, um, you know other I know I heard you try to slide that gum chew in there <laughs> yeah you, you break it up with other activities <laughs> seems like you have a really um, methodical and well thought out plan for going forward and then just to give someone some insight Emily Rose is sort of rushing us here so I'll close this up but to give someone some insight into if they're listening going like I wonder if I because I maybe want to go into medicine I don't know what feel but this sounds kind of like me you're pretty mild-mannered, and I think you need to have a calm and steady hand. It would seem beneficial and useful. But then below the surface, it would seem like you also need to have like a bit of a gunfighter's mentality. Were you someone that, as a kid, wanted to take the last shot, or were real like secretly competitive in video games, or did you have that kind of risk-taking, like, I want to cliff jump into this water because it seems like I need that adrenaline? Only to a partial degree. Um, yeah, only do a partial degree. Okay. I'm also a really sleepy person, mm-hmm. and so I need like a. For me, it sounds like just I need a certain level of stimulation, or else I get really sleepy. Mm. <laughs> I should probably have a doctor look into that, but. Um, so I need like I need something to be moving fast, and it's really fed into a bad cycle. Like it, it worsens ADHD over time. I feel like, because mm-hmm. um, you you like in the ER you're constantly distracted, so you you're like you can't do anything for more than 10 seconds before you're getting pulled in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's my mind going into a new direction. But no, uh, I was not really like that. Like like I said, I went into this because it was like a safe, straightforward track. And then it was just, this is the most interesting form of medicine right now. Um, yeah. You get to take, in the ER it's fun because you get to take like undifferentiated patients so you don't know what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what's going on with them. Then you get to do that initial workup and make that diagnosis some of the time, um, and the care you the care you start in the ER is frequently carried out throughout the patient's hospitalization. So if you have a patient coming in with chest pain um, and you think it's a legitimate heart attack, you bill it as such so that it gets treated very seriously in in the hospital instead of it being treated as routine, yeah. low risk chest pain. We'll just do a stress test on the patient home. Like you, you can dictate a lot of the important patients' care uh, in, in the ER and their whole hospital course just based off what you do in the ER, which is why I think it's the most interesting form of medicine out there right now. Uh, I like it. You ever go check in on them after the fact, two weeks later? Like when they're getting ready to get discharged and come over and say, hey man, you're welcome. 
Yeah, that's all I do. I just drop a mic and walk out. <laughs> you just snap your fingers, wink at him. Take it easy. You can, you're welcome. Yeah, you, I either like, I'll, I'll either check on him in person if if they were like really sick or if it was a difficult a really difficult situation, or I'll just creep on the records afterwards and see what happened to them just so you can learn from what you did cool well i hope you're getting lots of thank you cards any um final uh you shook your head no no thank you cards people are jerks they get out of here like i that's i deserve that i paid you that's your job (laughs) one of my co-residents last year literally got a card that said thank you on the inside said for nothing (laughs) (laughs) like what an asshole (laughs) you like People tend to be more negative than they tend to be. Like, you tend to hear more negative feedback than positive feedback. Yeah, of course. It's, I mean, no one takes time to, get to say thanks for something good, but, well, if something bad happened to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call into their customer service. And, well, okay, well, have you ever done that for something that you liked? No. Well, start doing that, people. If you're out there, if you're a <laughs> negative person, balance it out. Do one for one. Um, any final soundboard as we get out of here? What do you think? I'm trying to think of one that won't be offensive. None of yours have really been offensive thus far that I've heard. Let's see. How about Angry Birds? Try it out. Oh, that's a good carry out. Yeah. Patrick Hughes, continue the great work in the ER. Thanks for chatting. Thank you for this hard-hitting interview. Ooh, I like when that happens. Smoothly synced together. Nice little outro there. Beautiful. I hope you like the soundboard. Hope you like the chat with Patrick. And uh, there were a couple little parts I had to edit out. I, I don't normally talk about this in the main show. Sometimes in the Patreon, I'll let people in on some behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, but a couple things that uh, I've, I was really trying to dig in with. Just uh, There's something to me about doctors. As you heard, I still there's more of it than what I w- got after as far as um, you know laughing at things that are inappropriate or things like that. So I took a couple of those things out just because um, I didn't in any way want to make it seem as though Patrick didn't take his job very serious, very passionate, very dedicated to it. And I hope that I'm, to me, that comes across very clearly. Um, if for some reason you're listening and you're a doctor and you're like, I'm calling my local, get in touch uh, with me first, but I'd be baffled by that. I think he's very sincere and earnest and just genuinely cares for people. And um, I guess that has always been of interest to me that on one hand, as a patient, you want a doctor to be very human and, and emote and feel feelings and say, oh, I'm so sorry for you. But then on the other side of things, kind of, uh, you know, have have all their other human emotions sort of repressed, whether that's attraction or giggling at something that seems kind of silly, a birthmark that looks a lot like, you know, some some old timey celebrity or something like that. I don't think I think that's why I wouldn't be a great doctor. Potentially, I'd I'd always be giggling at those things, and therefore I am not one. Um, but I do think that's a bit, to some degree, unfair. Maybe, maybe I'm way off on that. But that's what I was trying to get to, and I don't know that I fully had that thought formed. But I uh, maybe later down the road we'll get to that. So anyway, and I think doctors do a great job of uh, being very, um, hmm, like. He used some good words in there. I can't think of all the great words that that you would use the appropriate words to show that you are, you know, taking someone's condition seriously and tuning out anything so as not to make them feel embarrassed or anything like that. And yet at the same time, patting them on the shoulder or even maybe putting your arm around them saying, Yeah, it's rough news, I'm here for you. So that seems like it I'm rambling way too much about this. Anyway, I hope you like the chat. I think Patrick's the best. We had a lot of fun. And um, let's get out of here. Thanks again to Dan for putting this show together. 
You can always buy my stand-up albums online, download them, and you can stream them for free potentially somewhere. You can start at David Huntsberger Pandora and listen to all my albums if you want. And I appreciate that. If you do, potentially I'll get back out there at some point and be doing more stand-up. I don't know what's holding me back. Maybe it's the current general state of things. I don't know. Um, this next song, <laughs> the only song on this episode, so the next one in the catalog of this ongoing podcast is um, from a gentleman who's become intertwined in this show because he communicates and he listens and he's been in town and done the junk show and he sends over music and he has even sent along beer that I haven't had a chance to use on the show yet because I'm waiting for just the right guest that likes that type of beer. So hopefully it doesn't get stale sitting in my refrigerator, but at some point we'll dedicate a whole sequence to uh, getting into this, this beer that he sent along. But in the interim, he sent along some music. I thought this song... Seemed very appropriate for tomorrow uh, in that let's get out there and do something interesting. Get out there and vote. Maybe it'll light us up, change the direction, pick up everybody's mood. I think everyone could use that, getting along, feeling good about it again, feeling good about looking across in traffic and seeing someone like, hey, we're all in this together, as opposed to like, who's that person, my enemy? It's getting old. So I like to think that's what this song is kind of about. I think it's great, perfect for... What could potentially happen tomorrow? So once again, get out there and vote. Here's National Spark by our friend Kristofsky. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Okay. 